Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cathedral Conversations about Race. My name is Michael. I'm here with Kara Peterson. Hey Kara, what's up? Oh, nothing. Just the fancy microphone I'm talking into. Yes, Kara has a brand new microphone, which uh, her partner very kindly contributed for this podcast. And so if you have any technological equipment at home, you would also like to contribute for this podcast. You know where we are on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Today, we are going to continue our conversations about race, specifically looking at another topic. You might remember we started this particular mini-series talking about microaggressions, and we talked about representation in church music, representation in media. Today, we're going to be talking about cultural appropriation versus cultural appreciation, what they are, what they're not, and examples that are very relevant to our daily lives and what we bring to our church community as well. To make sure that we get this started on the right note, we want to make sure that uh, everybody's on the same page when we talk about appropriation and appreciation. And so for that, I'm going to ask Kara if she can talk about what the academic definitions are and just some basic examples of those before we get into some real details. Yes, thank you, Michael. So just like with before, we, we literally just went on the internet and pulled these words to have a, well, a reputable source from the internet by Oxford Dictionary. Uh, <laughs> so the academic definition of cultural appropriation is the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practices, ideas at all of one people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. So really high level examples that anybody would be able to recognize is stuff like blackface. And if you did not know that blackface was supposed to be offensive, please come see me after church. Appreciation is when someone seeks to understand and learn about another culture in an effort to broaden their perspective and connect with others cross-culturally. Appropriation, in contrast, is simply taking one aspect of your own and using it for your own personal interest. So that's not to say that you decided to learn Spanish and you know live live in Guatemala for ten years to do that. That's that is appreciation. That's you making an effort. But deciding to celebrate Taco Tuesday and Dia de los Muertos out of context, that is appropriation. Oh, well, actually, I won't say Taco Tuesday is. That's not fair to Taco Tuesday <laughs> because it's it's just a that, that's pretty a, a generic thing. But things like or Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, that's a has big one. been very overappropriated and turned into a, a, a day to drink for Americans and, and things like that. So um, other examples, uh, big ones and would be Halloween uh, costumes, which, of course, include sometimes blackface uh, or brown face, even just the artificial darkening of your skin in order to caricaturize another group of people. <laughs> um, you know, things like things that are meant to imitate indigenous uh, headwear is, is a pretty common one that's getting less and less common, thankfully. But um, or, you know, one of my big bows to pick is kimonos or any sort of Eastern Asian wear are often put on incorrectly and that sort of thing. Those are some sorts of Halloween costumes that are 
going back out of of um, fashion. I use that term loosely, of course. Um, on the other hand, a really simple example of appreciation is purchasing art directly from creators from which the art originated. So indigenous artists from the Salish groups in, in the area that we live in, that sort of thing. In fact, I'm wearing a shirt that I purchased. Well, I mean, I'm holding it up as though anybody but Michael can see this. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I purchased a shirt that says every child matters and it's orange and it has, you know, it has Salish and like, you know, the eagle heads and another thing is purchasing art or, or products from actual artists. So a good example in our area is companies like Eighth Generation, which is a group of actual Salish, you know, coastal area artists who make their own art and it's sort of a collective thing. But like that's but they, they do have, you know, quilts and mm. shirts, not again the hashtag not sponsored and <laughs> all that. But but these are good things to think about if you think it's really pretty, don't wear a headdress. Yeah. Go buy some socks from a creator. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's important. I mean, sure, we're not pushing other people's commercial material, but we are, I think, trying to push the idea that you should be more aware of the, I mean, certainly local to this area, the Coast Salish people, and also the fact that it is incredibly important to support uh, local, in this case, indigenous artists, uh, local indigenous creators, and in actually actively mindfully supporting them i don't think you are appropriating i don't think you're taking away from their history or their culture or their identity i mean obviously if you put on a headdress that you buy from amazon and you know go bar hopping on capitol hill that's very different yeah and and again if you do that please come see me after church we'll have a conversation oh a long 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 conversation (laughs) But if you go to eighth generation or mm-hmm. many of the other uh, locally based creators who, yes, they do sell products, but yeah. I think they also want to share their work. Yeah. They want to share the knowledge that their ancestors were here long, long, long before any of our ancestors. Oh, yeah. Were here. Oh, yeah. And they are still here, still living, mm-hmm. still working, mm-hmm. still uh, holding on to the culture that was that came perilously close to being taken away from them. And in many yes. cases, was actually taken. That, I think, is a good message for us to put out. Yes. The next thing we're going to talk about is something that we've been thinking about for a very, very long time in a very significant way for this podcast, mm-hmm. and that is yoga. Yeah. And before we get too deeply into it, it's important to clarify that we're not going to tell people not to do yoga. We're not going to tell St. Mark's to discontinue cathedral yoga. That's not our intent here at all. But it is really important in this context of what cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation is, and in the context about talking about race, that we talk about yoga. And I have to put some of my baggage up front here. Yes, I'm obviously a South Asian person. But no, I do not come from a culture that has developed, originated yoga in the way that 
uh, the culture of India has, because it bears repeating, I'm not Indian. However, I still do feel close enough to South Asian overall identity that to see the way yoga is practiced, and I will say the way yoga is appropriated here in the United States, here in Seattle, makes me uncomfortable. I used to have a roommate who was from India. Well, who is from India? He doesn't live here anymore. But he said that there were more yoga studios in our neighborhood of Seattle than there were in his entire city in India, which was a hilarious observation. It's still true today. None of those studios have closed down. And my guess is there are probably a few more since he made that comment. But it, looking at it a, a little bit deeper, there is reason to talk about why that is and what that means. The fact that here in Seattle, one of the whitest cities in this region, probably on the upward trend of one of the whitest cities in the country, just has a preponderance of yoga studios. The demographics of that are notable. I have felt very weird being the only brown guy in a yoga class full of white women in the sense that I was probably one of the only men there and more often than not, probably the only brown skinned person there. Well, and because I, I think it's important at this point to say that you as a Christian, a Sri Lankan Christian from Dubai would not practice yoga because yoga is part of Hinduism. Yes. Right? Yes, it is. And yes, it's, it's an active part of practicing it's it's an aspect of hinduism that can be practiced it's and it's it's not just stretching there there are eight branches of it that are given equal weight <laughs> so I, and i think so many of those subtleties and those nuances and those details of what yoga really is get lost when it becomes purely a physical discipline or when the spirituality of yoga becomes so diluted that it becomes a thing you can do uh, on your lunch break. Yeah. And it's, well, I mean, to that end, you know, and there's, when, when you walk into like a practitioner space, I think, I mean, these, I should clarify that I, I do not practice yoga. Um, I took a class for it in high school to get a PE credit and I felt deeply uncomfortable being the only non-white person in that class and not even being anywhere close to Indian. <laughs> anyway, um, but you know, there, there's things like taking, you know, besides taking off your shoes, you don't point your the soles of your feet towards images of the, the gods that, you know, th things like that. Say Akani posted this article on Facebook that we both really appreciated because it explained from an actual Indian person who actually grew up practicing yoga with her family, mm -hmm. uh, explained some of the appropriations that bothered her in greater detail than either of us really have, since we only have our own experiences to talk about. Yeah, but, but that's important because... I mean, as much as I can declare my baggage and say that I'm not, I'm not Hindu, I'm not Indian, 
to as best as we can have the voice of a person who was born in who is Indian, was mm-hmm. born in India, and is a yoga teacher in her mm-hmm. in her article. I mean, she's writing for Yoga International. Um, yes. She, uh, I mean, her, the perspective she has is far surpassing what we have, and this is the next best thing uh, to you know her actually being here to record with us. So this article that we're talking about was posted on Facebook by Shay Akani, a member of St. Mark's, a wonderful friend and ally of this podcast who someday we will get to interview. <laughs> and she posted an article from Yoga International called How We Can Work Together to Avoid Cultural Appropriation in Yoga. Uh, and we'll put this in the show notes as well, because it is, it is amazing reading. And as you heard us discussing, it has been written by an Indian woman who is a yoga teacher. And so she's bringing that experience, which, to be frank, neither Kara nor I have. Mm-hmm. But what makes what made it a fascinating read for us and what makes it incredibly important to the community we're addressing here, many of whom we know practice yoga, is that there are bad ways to practice yoga. There are, as she says, yoga fads. There are terms that are not used correctly, terms that are not used in the proper context that those terms should be used. One of them is the word namaste, which I will unpack with gusto in a few minutes. One is how yoga studios are decorated using sacred depictions, sacred objects without the spiritual or religious reverence that they should be given, but instead as literal window dressing to get people in through the door. Another way is the marginalization of Indian and South Asian yoga teachers. It is a sign of how yoga has been appropriated. Here's my favorite subheading in this article. Traditionally, yoga playlists are not a thing. Yes. (laughs) Showed that to Dom and he also cackled. I'll, I'll just read that part out. It's, it's very short. It's not going to yes. take a long time. So yes, many yes. yoga teachers spend hours curating their yoga playlists. But in India, yoga classes don't typically have music. This article is going to be in the show notes for people to read in more detail. But it is, for me, a sign of how yoga as a spiritual practice has become so commodified. You could go to Spotify, just type in yoga playlist, and you'll get thousands of results which seems to not be the point of yoga but let's move on to bring this back on track the writer of this article does also talk about how it is possible to properly appreciate yoga Mm -hmm. and some of the methods she uh, she puts out are taking classes that are taught by indian and south asian yoga teachers so much content is being made on available online because of the pandemic you can do you can go to youtube and find that you can certainly educate yourself i mean read up about the history of yoga and specifically what yoga is and what yoga is not the writer of this article says if there are certain aspects of the way you practice yoga that are appropriative cut them out if there are certain aspects of the way a yoga studio appropriates yoga, consider leaving, strongly consider leaving, spend the time, spend the money if necessary to find a studio that practices yoga with the, with the respect that it deserves and not where it's putting up images of Hindu deities on windows 
to get people in and say, look how woke we are. I have a, I have a, I actually have a story that doesn't have anything to do with yoga, but is along the exact same lines. Because as you know, uh, the cathedral choir in its full force is about 50 people. And all of them, you know, come to St. Mark's, but not all of them are really active members. Um, like, I mean, yes, there's people like me and Amanda Davis and Maria and Phil Lloyd and Phil Haas and folks like that. But there are also several fire members who I know many of these listeners would have, like, you'd never hear of them because all they do is choir, which is fine. A lot of them are not even practicing Christians and, you know, don't participate in communion and stuff. But what they do is they come and they respect our liturgy and they respect our prayers and they respect our practices. And in the past, there have been people in the cathedral choir who are no longer with us who who would do things like openly sit and like read during the Eucharistic prayer or like, you know, or like really deliberately not do things or follow or respect Mm. because, you know, they wanted to make some sort of statement that all they were there to do was sing. Oh, oh no. So what I, what I was thinking is that in that sense, there are some yoga studios who, even if they're not an actual religious entity, um, but are still being respectful of the origins in an authentic and meaningful way, rather than just, you know, like buying a Vishnu pinata and putting it in the window. And, you know, like, you know, it just, it's, it's, it goes back to our comparison of checkbox activism and allies, allyship versus actual meaningful action. Um, So, but yeah, that that was my comparison. Thanks for sharing that to, in full disclosure, we had not discussed that, that comparison of former choir members who were not being respectful for the liturgy. So that came to me as a shock. And I hope in this, if it came to me as a shock, then it would come to a few listeners as a shock as well. And to use that shock, that, that to use that sense of surprise with some awareness that we do that if when we appropriate, not if when we appropriate. And we do that to a degree when we go to a yoga studio without respecting the traditions and the origins of yoga. I'm, I'm in absolutely no position to tell people not to do yoga. That's, I could never stand on that hill. But I'll put it this way. If you want to learn more about the cultural appropriation of yoga, do what I do. Do what I did. Go to Google. Type the phrase, cultural appropriation of yoga. You're going to get 8.6 million results, and I want you to read every single one of them. No, yeah. okay. Read, report to Michael I mean, after church. <laughs> there will be a quiz at the end. But honestly, read the first three. Shayi Akani posted one of the articles, which is going to be in the show notes. I read two more, and I came away with certainly a lot of content to talk about here, but just a lot of thinking points. I don't practice yoga, but are there other things I'm doing which are taking away from cultures that are not mine, especially if there's some kind of power differential, me as a male, me as a cis person, me as a straight person, that are not respecting the cultures that originated whatever I'm taking. As we've said, the author of that article in Yoga International talks about the ways 
the many ways words, phrases, and terms are misused when yoga is culturally appropriated. And one of those words is namaste. Uh, again, I'm not Indian. I do not have any claim to the use of the word namaste, excuse me, the use of the term namaste. So I will read out her words. And they are, namaste, the word and prayer hand gesture, has become synonymous with yoga, and almost every yoga class starts or ends with a namaste. But, she continues, growing up in India, I never said namaste. She talks in some detail about how there are cultural and even regional variations of the term which she used. But she's very clear that namaste, as a term, does not mean hello, it does not mean welcome. It's a greeting that is used in temples when bowing to an idol, a priest, or an elder, uh, somebody who is spiritually further along in their journey than she is in hers. She never uses namaste with friends. And for obvious reasons, that is incredibly relevant to our discussion about how yoga, and I would say even beyond yoga, certain elements of Indian and South Asian culture are appropriated. I have been on the receiving end of that misappropriation twice. Uh, one story I will share in a future podcast. The other one I will share here because it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Many years ago, I was attending a small science fiction convention in Seattle with some friends of mine. Not one of the big conventions, just a small regional one. And... I had gotten separated from my group, just looking around at all the exhibits and things. And then when I reconnected with my group, they were standing around and talking to an elderly woman who was not part of our group to <clears> begin <throat> with. This woman had a very strong German-Austrian accent. I could not place it. And when I rejoined the group, the only place I could find to stand was right next to her. So she's talking to them about the costume design or something, as people do at science fiction conventions. And that's perfectly normal conversation. Then the woman notices me coming up and standing next to her to rejoin my group of friends. She turns to me, puts her hands together, bows, and says namaste. <laughs> Did she ask if I was Indian? No. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Did she ask if I was uh, Hindu? No. Did she ask me anything at all? No. Did she say hello? No. I mean, I could have looked at her and gone, oh, 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 and I think it would have had exactly the same impact. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, please, if there's one takeaway from this, it's that if you see a South Asian person, Please resist the just impulse. Just say hello. Just say hello. Just For say the hello. love of God, say hello. <laughs> resist the impulse. Okay. Ooh, that was fun. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Well, I was going to say this is, a, I mean, this, this goes for a wide variety of things across a wide variety of cultures. Mm -hmm. So things like guru, karma, zen, <laughs> at least zen itself has turned into a branch of buddhism but, but it doesn't like, mean simply feeling calm yes exactly um but similarly words like powwow which i have phased out of my own speech i will uh come come up front with that uh or bury the hatchet peace pipe 
spirit animal, war dance, things like all of that, which are not are not like as as strong as things like some of our professional sports teams are still named in this country. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway. On the so topic of professional like, sports, shout out to actually from the, Seahawks. Field, the Seattle Seahawks for properly, appropriately using a logo developed by Coast Salish people, but yeah. uh, adapted well, for. Itself, yes. Yeah. The logo itself uh, was or the original old 70s logo with the brighter colors was actually created by a, a, a white guy in this region, but it was taken from a mask that that exists and actually um, about 10 years ago came back to Seattle which is uh, pretty exciting or not to Seattle to this part of the Coast Salish land yes this might be the first time that you you had the the full rant experience from Michael you get it from Carol at least once an episode and you're about to get it next because our next topic was my rant of the episode I guess anyway this is also like another term, and this we will use as our, our grand pivot, right? Aloha is another one of those terms that's sort of, that's misused a lot. And it's not really necessarily a greeting, but it's more like a, a sense of, of communal love. No, not communal love. We can't use that term. <laughs> oh, man. No, this is definitely going to be a Patreon episode. Aloha is more of a sense, I, I think. I mean, I, I should say that I'm not from Hawaii. This, this is all stuff through many visits there, through my mom, through my aunt, through my grandmother, all those sorts. Um, but, it, it, but no, it doesn't mean both hello and goodbye. That I think is what, <laughs> what I am getting at. Um, and so... It goes much deeper. Yes, it does. And... I mean, at this point, in a really strange way, it reminds me, and there is a risk of appropriating here. I had to be careful about that. But how in English we just have the word love, and Eliasine actually preached about this yeah. last week. We love our family members. We love French fries was the thing right. he used, and yeah. certainly there are different ways of saying that. But we just use that word, whereas the term aloha in Indigenous Hawaiian means so much more than simply hello or goodbye in the way yeah. that we don't have some of those shades in English. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I mean, <laughs> I, if you start learning any other language, you will understand how limited English has become <laughs> for the different kinds of experiences and so feelings much. that there are. Um, but at that, on that token, I, I do want to continue talking about Hawaii a little bit because mm -hmm. as, I, I keep telling you on this podcast, my mother grew up there. And uh, if yoga has been appropriated in practice, Hawaii, I think, has been appropriated. I mean, I, I guess in practice isn't a good term, but yoga, like the practice of yeah. yoga has been appropriated. Hawaii itself, the land, has been appropriated in that it's been commodified it's been overrun, it's been over-commercialized, and I don't even really know how to conclude all of that because it's just so hard to see 
Yeah, we, well, we were, I mean, literally, I will be up front in this recording that we're, we're just going off of a Google spreadsheet here. And one of the first things that we came up with when we were gathering ideas was near the beginning. Uh, actually, this is from later, but I remember near the beginning of lockdown uh, in 2020, there were still people who were flying to Hawaii once some of the flight restrictions lifted and then skirting their uh, quarantine requirements because they were like, well, I'm on vacation. I don't need to do this. Like taking into no consideration whatsoever that Hawaii is still a place where people live. And then, yes, if we say it about the Duwamish every Sunday, Hawaiian people are an actual living people who are still extant and who are still living on the Hawaiian islands. And they need to be protected too. And for folks to treat Hawaii like a playground is a kind of insidious appropriation that I, I, I really don't have any other equivalent example of. I, just... I, I want to really quickly jump in and add that the story Kara's telling right now happened at, in the early days of the pandemic, like she said. Another news story we found was from September 2021, um, <laughs> where a couple falsified their vaccine card so that they could travel to Hawaii. Oh. So it, it, it's not a new thing. I mean, it's happening recently, absolutely. But certainly at the start of the pandemic, people didn't think that Hawaii was an actual place where people lived, that they could just go and crash there and ride out the storm. And then long before the pandemic, it, Hawaii has been little more than simply a, a winter getaway for a lot of people. Yeah. And even before that, I mean, Hawaii was an actual, an actual kingdom mm -hmm. up until about 150 years ago. And the United States came around and we're like, we're gonna we're gonna put up a pineapple plantation here. Hope that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they like they, they 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 had a monarchy overthrown by the United States. And then it was a territory for a long time. And you know, I <laughs> I have a lot of, if you have lots of baggage about yoga, I definitely have lots of baggage about Hawaii because <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've told a couple of people um, that I'm, you know, my grandmother uh, grew up in Honolulu and she was when Pearl Harbor was bombed. Oh. And so I, I asked her one time, like, what was that like? And being the religious lady that she is, she said, well, it was a Sunday. So the first thing I remember is that church was canceled. I was like, granny, yes. <laughs> you know what? That's something I would remember too. Um, but she talked about having to help pile up sandbags in case there was another attack and stuff. And at that time, Hawaii was still U.S. territory. It had not been given statehood yet. And that the U.S. decided that that was enough reason to firebomb Tokyo and drop nuclear bombs that they had no idea the effects of over the bombing of a military base in a territory. Mm. And then 
after that, Japanese people were literally taken out of their homes in the United States and put into camps. From here out, I am not calling those internment camps. They were incarceration camps. They were. <laughs> they were. Those people were being held because the United States really thought that they had some sort of magic link to the Japanese emperor. They didn't. They were Americans. My grandfather fought in the United States Army. <laughs> My great uncle fought with the 100th Battalion. You know, just like, <laughs> like the, these were Americans who were being treated like this. Yeah. And Hawaii went on to become a rich people's playground. <laughs> it just, you know, it, there, there are countless effects that I just, there, there's no way for me to cover all of them in a podcast that I need to keep tied to St. Mark's Cathedral in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> but things like agricultural things, you know, one time I was visiting my grandmother because we would always go and you know, work in her garden mostly, which I wasn't always thrilled about, but, but I enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> mom, I know my mom listens to this. <laughs> anyway. Hey, Kara's mom. Hey, yes. <laughs> anyway, I, I have this really distinct memory. You know, we went to, to KTA, the, the, the grocery store and bought some groceries and took it back to my grandma's house. And we had some cherry tomatoes. And so my grandma was like outside, you know, watering something or whatever, and she was eating them and she spit out some of the skin seeds. I'm not kidding. A week later, there was nearly a full size tomato plant that was beginning to flower. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's how fast Hawaii's soil can just like, but that means that like, if some pollen falls off of your, your Californian clothes, that can throw off. Or I remember gardening in my grandma's garden and seeing a snail and my mom being like, you have to crush it. I was like, I don't, I don't want to crush the snail. And she was like, you have to like, but then hold on. Sorry. I, I really am trying to organize myself. <laughs> then. But, but then, I mean, I have to wonder how many people are aware of how delicate Hawaii's um, geological makeup is. And I have to imagine of all the people who go there, you know, for a couple of weeks in the summer or the winter, whatever, they're, I mean, certainly not, not that level of care. Not as many as we might like. Again, another story that I was flying to Hawaii for the my grandmother's ashes in Earnment about five years ago. And I heard, like, you know, some a guy and his kids were going there for vacation which uh, okay but you know the girls were excited to go swimming that's fine but like they're like I wonder if we'll see a sea turtle and the guy was like well yeah maybe we'll be able to touch it and they're like yay and I I mean like the sea turtles are endangered there's a multi-thousand dollar fine if you touch them because they're because people are touching them and that's bad and you shouldn't do that and I mean clearly I I also have a lot of baggage about this and stuff but I what I want you all to take away from this is that if you have to go visit a place like Hawaii so that includes things that are also really fragile ecosystems like you know maybe the Galapagos 
or <laughs> you know other other places like that that are very fragile and really all of our nature is fragile let's like let's do the eco like save the whales thing again here right hashtag um, cop 26 but yeah has, yes exactly oh yes that's right that is happening right now as we're recording mm-hmm. huh <laughs> at any rate i i would encourage you to do so responsibly and so yeah. that means things like renting like i mean it's putting money into the local economy and i don't mean going and only spending money at the hilton's along waikiki <laughs> i don't mean only going to the resorts at waikoloa on the big island nice as they are but things like that are are really hurting mm. hawaii and if you oh sorry i'm i'm like this there's like a lot of stuff coming to my cerebral. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, not, totally. There's all these things that it's like everything I want to say is bottlenecking right now. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Recently, I've been playing a couple of liturgies down at St. Peter's um, in the International District. And I was talking to the priest there, Edmund Harris, a lovely, lovely man. And he was talking about, he was telling me about his sabbatical that was supposed to happen last year, but ended up getting pushed back to this year. And originally, he and his uh, husband and, and uh, son, I think, or, or his, his child, I don't know. Uh, he and his husband and his child were going to travel extensively. And one of the places they were going to go was Hawaii. And he said, you know, but after all of this stuff about traveling and, you know, reading about, like, the service industry and all that, I thought, what would the optics of two rich white American guys going to vacation in Hawaii on the tail end of the pandemic? And I was like, you know what? (laughs) The fact that you thought about that at all is really good because you stepped back and you were concerned about your impact. And that's absolutely the first step. So shout out to Edmund. Hello. I, I guess this is also the shout out episode. I don't know. But <laughs> well, and Kara, you had also mentioned there are Episcopal churches in Hawaii that are similarly looking at their impact as yeah. Anglican well, churches. I mean, so it, the interesting thing is uh, Anglicanism was actually I mean, it was it was brought to Hawaii by missionaries, but uh, Queen Emma and King Kamehameha the Fourth, I think, were the ones who were Anglican. Oh, my cats! My cats running around. Uh, who were Anglican and you know very publicly converted to Anglicanism, and they, I think, were part of the founding of Saint Andrew's Cathedral, which is the cathedral in Honolulu, and is the the seat of the Diocese of Hawaii. And I think it's probably because of that that the Diocese of Hawaii has a lot of special dispensation components of like their liturgies. And so things like the doxology are sung in Hawaiian in Hawaiian Episcopal churches. Hold on, I have to pull up Irene's message. So I, I know what the name of these things are. For those of you at home, I had to ask uh, the Reverend Irene Tanabe if, if 
uh, some of you know who she is. She was a curate at St. Mark's uh, after she first got ordained. Uh, she's currently the rector at All Souls uh, in Okinawa, which is the only English language parish there. Um, but yeah, they sing the doxology and uh, something called the Queen's Prayer, which was by Queen Lulia Kolani called Ke Aloha A Ke Akuna. Ke Aloha A Ke Akua. And it's, it's sung every Sunday in all the parishes in the Diocese of Hawaii. Mm. And they have, yeah, they, they have special, and actually uh, King Kamehameha is now in like the Anglican prayer book because he was a, like he, he's in our calendar, which is <laughs> a little bit nuts uh, for me personally. I know St. Andrews has Hawaiian language liturgies every week, which um, I only remembered because uh, when the Rev uh, when Walter Brownridge was in Seattle a couple of months ago to preach at the cathedral, uh, Michael and I took him out to lunch after that Sunday, and he talked about having to conduct services in Hawaiian as a as a black guy, and he was like, it was it was a ride, but you know he he learned it, he did it, and. <laughs> And I, that speaks so much to this, that you can learn how mm -hmm. to be in a different space without taking from it, without damaging it. You can learn how to engage with the culture that isn't yours without simply dropping in when it's comfortable and then dropping out again when you want to go back home. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's, there are other beaches in the United States you can go to that can that has the infrastructure for you to go to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, to say nothing of the carbon footprint it takes to fly to and from Hawaii. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's five, six hours each way. How much jet fuel is that? Unless you can canoe there, that would be very exciting. But that's why I appreciate what the Diocese of Hawaii has done, uh, incorporating Hawaiian words into their music, you know, and, and that sort of thing. I know this will probably sound a little strange, but unless you actually like own property in Hawaii and actively put money into their economy on a regular basis, like going to Hawaii once or twice is probably fine. Going many times a year vacation is probably less so again my family maybe went every other year and that was to visit family and part of that was because it was cost prohibitive to fly all of us down there and whatever but also <laughs> there was no reason to go that often I mean, mm. there was for us because there was family. There was, you know, my grandmother. And when my grandmother died in at the beginning of March in 2016, um, we had, or I mean, you know, my, before she actually, you know, died, my mom and dad went down there. And I think my sister and brother-in-law went the day after she died because they did have a memorial a couple of days after. And at the time I was, I guess I was working at the bookstore. Yeah. But I was looking at airfare to see if I could go down for that funeral. And it was 
you know, the, the tickets to fly out, you know, in one or two days and staying for, you know, three nights, it was like $1,300 a pop. And so I was like, okay, well, either I can go alone without Dom or, you know what? And, you know, I tried looking into doing the bereavement fair, but they don't do it for Hawaii because it's a getaway destination. I was like, I actually have family who died in that state, you know, I, <laughs> and it was just, I, you know, like, cause it, it was like, you know, it's not as though Hawaii exists as where someone's family lives, right? Well, it, it's literally referred to as, you know, it's like a getaway spot. Mm. And like, so, you know, surely nobody would ever be going to Hawaii in early March for anything other than vacation. Like, <laughs> in a horrible way, it reminds me of how people thought your middle name was about the whale. It's oh like they God. cannot imagine that there's a human being there. Oh, like it's a name. <laughs> And it's Hawaii like, is a place where people live and not, yeah. not a luxury resort. No. As we're learning more um, about each other, <laughs> in truth, there's less of it, but there has been a, a big history of appropriation in the, the white church. Um, and that, <laughs> if you'll indulge us, we'll, we'll use a, a pretty recent example uh, because we have used this array before at St. Mark's. Um, there's one that it's beautiful. And I think the cloth, uh, the kente cloth that it's made from was like, I, I don't know where it came from, um, but it was made into a, a frontal array. And that, so that's all the, that's the, the pieces of cloth that go onto the altar for the different seasons. And this kente cloth, uh, one is one of our green arrays for Pentecost or time after Pentecost in ordinary time and, and stuff like that. And the cathedral has several sets of each color and that one is one of the lighter ones. So of course in June, July, August, the clergy have to wear, have to wear a lot of clothes on Sunday morning for you. Uh, so Oftentimes, with the reason you'll see people switch is because uh, they're using a lighter set. And last summer in 2020, after the murder of George Floyd and during all of the protests, and after you know there was a, a big deal around Juneteenth, and you know the the Black identity was becoming more and more prominent as a like this, hey, this exists next to, you know, middle-class white America from, from Illinois or whatever. Um, there was a, an indication that I saw on Facebook that St. Mark's was gonna use the Kente cloth array again. And we were, <laughs> uh, Michael and I sent a concerned email to some higher ups, uh, um, warning that we thought that maybe this decision was not the right one. And uh, luckily, uh, uh, Steve had also had uncomfortable feelings boiling in his gut about this and was like, okay, and hearing this from you too has, has solidified that, yes, that, that, that instinct was right. But that would have been kind of embarrassing for me, to be really honest with you, if we'd actually mm -hmm. done that right after Juneteenth and right after, <laughs> because 
I know that, you know, it used to be seen as an indication of love to do that, uh, being like, you're overusing your things. But once again, intentions and actual consequences are two different things. <laughs> I like how you phrase that. I mean, obviously, the church didn't use the words, hey, look at us, we're using your things. But mm-hmm. that does get to what appreciation is not and what appropriation is. It's, hey, we're using your things. Did we ask you? No. Are we using it properly? No. Even if it's with the right intention. And the story that Kara just told you is what was happening in the political spectrum, too. There was a picture of Democratic legislators and lawmakers who took the knee while wearing Kente stoles. And that picture was not very well received because while the intention was certainly there to honor the memory of George Floyd and to show solidarity with so many black communities across the country who were feeling threatened and endangered, um, just the sight of a group of pretty affluent, pretty powerful, pretty privileged white people appropriating a, a very distinct style of clothing, and more than just clothing, appropriating a very distinct style of symbolism is a little bit tone deaf. Again, it's just taking without asking. I'm sure in the heat of the moment, it seemed like a good idea. And, you know, maybe in a more simpler time, yeah, that we might not be looking at this too closely. But I think the reason we have to do work like this is because for generations, we didn't look at things too closely. And here we are in 2021. Uh, with pandemic upon pandemic piling down on us. So all that to say, it, it certainly wasn't only St. Mark's that no, came not, perilously, not perilously close to making that mistake. <clears throat> I mean, there, there is good news. There, are, There is always good news. That is um, certainly our philosophy. And Karen knows more about the story about the processional cross. So I'll leave that to her oh. to finish it. <laughs> because we don't want to end this note, this episode on the note of like, the road to hell was paved with good intentions. Mm. Uh, there is also still a tangible good way that St. Mark's is appreciating another African or East African in this case thing. And that is our processional crosses that you see, uh, except for the red one that we use during Lent. Uh, that came from the set of a play about Matthew Shepard. Uh, so that, that has another deep significance for another reason. But the crosses that we use during ordinary time and during celebratory times, uh, those metal ones that sit atop the big wooden poles are processional crosses from uh, somewhere in Eastern Africa. I forget exactly which country and I'm gonna try not to just take stabs at something I don't know exactly. Uh, But those, many of those and the bigger ones were actually a gift from a parishioner of St. Mark's about 20 or 25 years ago, maybe longer. Um, I mean, we'll have to ask Walter Studeville about this because he'll know. <laughs> Walter knows but everything. Walter does know everything between him and Hisako. Good Lord. Anyway, those were gifts and those are used as processional crosses. And so what, was, what the hell was I going to say? <laughs> 
appreciation. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's the difference. I mean, it's not like <laughs> it's not like we just found that cross and decided, hey, this looks nice. Let's use it. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the this we we weren't just walking down Tenth Avenue on the way to the deluxe after church one day and <laughs> you know found it strewn on the you know it's it, there was intention and there was there was a bond there was trust mm-hmm. and you know what we we are showing our appreciation for it as a gift and as a liturgical tool by using it every week it's a small thing but it's a significant thing in our weekly life at saint mark's and that's a way that we as a and i mean a royal we because obviously michael and i are not uh but we as a white church Mm -hmm. you know can do to (laughs) to show appreciation but without being offensive and I think that's a wonderful way of just wrapping up why appropriation is such a big deal and why appreciation is possible and why it is important to know the difference between the two. It's important to know the difference between simply waltzing into a yoga studio and uh, putting on a yoga playlist and doing a few stretches versus <laughs> taking the time to read about what yoga really is. And then to think about what you're participating in. And again, we're not gatekeeping here. We don't want to turn people away, but we do strongly want to encourage somebody. If you're going to participate in yoga, think about what you're doing, research what you're doing so that when you do it, you'll be making a very informed decision. It's the same with Hawaii. There are good ways to visit Hawaii. There are good ways to appreciate Hawaii. And Kara has talked about many of them here. And it's the same at the cathedral. There are good ways to open our, there are good ways to make our worship and our liturgy as diverse as possible, I think. And there are also bad ways to do that. Mistakes have been made in the past. No, I'll do one better than that. St. Mark's has made mistakes in the past. St. Mark's has also done the right thing sometimes. And hopefully, as we continue to do this work, certainly part of the podcast, but this podcast is part of the bigger framework of racial reconciliation and storytelling, we will have other better stories to tell of cultural appreciation, and we will learn not to engage in cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if if you don't know, just Google it. Seriously, 8.6 million results. You can you, read all of them. You, you have a rectangle in your pocket that's more powerful than the computer that sent the first thing to space. You can Google it. <laughs> you can uh, learn. <laughs> yes. Seriously, if the if the three words we finish this with are you can learn, mission mm-hmm. accomplished, I think. That's my that's why I wish I had it. We used to sell a plaque at the bookstore. That was a Leonardo da Vinci quote, apparently. But it said, I am still learning. And it was my absolute favorite. Because, you know, of course. When you think of da Vinci, you're like, oh, he's a genius and invented bats and whatever. <laughs> like, I, I just think of the flying thing, right? But at any rate, you know, he, the reason that, you know, you can come up with all of that is that you just always have a sense that you can add more knowledge, you can add more context, and you can be more responsible with your engagement. So, I mean, we all can. Mm-hmm. I can. You can. Yeah. Thanks, Kara. That, I, that's just 
I really like that. That's a perfect way to put the pin in this. So, yes, we've all made mistakes, but don't feel bad. Just learn and go forward. 